This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. The first reading will be from the book of Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 15, 4 through 13. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that, uh, Father in heaven, we ask that you would send the Spirit of Jesus to be our teacher. We sit uh, 
at his feet and ask that uh, he would instruct us and uh, disciple us so that we may know the ways of peace and uh, do those things which build each other up. We ask for the sake of Jesus the Messiah and his glory. Amen. So it is um, the second Sunday in Advent, as some of you may be aware. And um, the two readings are um, perfect Advent readings. Um, in that, they uh, both speak of peace. And uh, is it not true that uh, peace uh, is indeed a Christmas message? We sing about the Prince of Peace. Uh, we sing, uh, we send Christmas cards, or at least we used to. Um, peace on earth and um, God's favor to men or women of goodwill. And, of course, more. But um, I don't think it's, it's no, it's no revelation, certainly no revelation, that the world in which we live uh, is certainly not very peaceful. And uh, there's a, the world, I would almost say, there's a certain uproar and a hysteria that um, may be facilitate, may, uh, somehow that is facilitated uh, by social media. Uh, we have the growth of uh, very ugly nationalism. Uh, we have uh, ha ideological hatred, at least in the Western world, that we haven't seen uh, in quite a long time. Uh, we certainly have a, um, an ugliness in our public discourse, again, that hasn't existed, at least in uh, many parts of the world, uh, for as long as uh, I think most of us can remember. And with the nations in an uproar, certainly the message of peace for Christmas is uh, something, the message, the peace message, you might say, is something very, very necessary. And the book of Romans, uh, in some ways, uh, mentions, perhaps mentions peace more than any other book in the New Testament. And that's what I'd like to focus on uh, for a few minutes is Paul's epistle to the Romans, which one person calls, recently remarked, oh, the passage that we just read from Romans is boring. And maybe it's true. Uh, and certainly what I say tonight won't be uh, any big uh, super revelation. Uh, I get paid, maybe not enough, but I get paid to uh, remind you of things that you already knew or already know. That's the job of a preacher. It's not to bring some new truth or some new insight, but to stir up those things which we already know, or most of us already know to be true. And uh, this book of Romans, which is not only about peace, is really more importantly, it's about God himself. Now, the book of Romans has been the subject of a huge amount of controversy in the last few years. 
But that controversy has actually been, uh, been somewhat helpful because there's a whole new generation of scholars and Bible teachers that are reading Romans in a slightly different way and perhaps in a little more of a convincing way or more of an authentic way. Because instead of this being about the Roman road to salvation, how I get saved, how me, a sinner, uh, someone who um, is, has no righteousness, someone who has no standing with God, someone who's under judgment, how uh, my faith leads to my justification and my justification leads to the infill, my infilling, my being, me being infl infilled with the Holy Spirit, which leads to me hopefully giving, my, uh, uh, giving myself over to be a living sacrifice. The way that we've read Romans and understood Romans for, for centuries, maybe since the Re Reformation, it's been about me, me, me. And my, what happens to me as an individual. But in truth, not only is the word peace frequently mentioned in Romans, but in of all, at least in all the epistles, the word God is mentioned. That the focus and the emphasis of, of uh, this book is not about what we do to get saved. Of course, all the Protestants would say, <clears throat> we do nothing. It's all about faith. It's all, but in actual fact, if you analyze the message, if you analyze the preaching, if you analyze the context, it's very human-centered. Where, where in actual fact, the book is very God-centered. It's about who God is and what God is doing. It's about the gospel of God. It's about the good news <clears throat> that God announces through his son, Jesus the Messiah. It is about the righteousness of God. Not, in this case, most likely, not some high moral standard that God has, but actually righteousness, when it talks about righteousness in the book of Romans, it's talking about God's faithfulness, maybe even as covenant faithfulness, as chesed. Yes, it's about, this is a book about God. And it's, not, and it's about what God does, and it's about who God is. And one of the things that comes across over and over again <clears throat> that God is a God of peace, that God is connected, the Spirit is connected with this idea of peace. <clears throat> now, why is Paul writing this? What's the issue here? Because there's a historical context, and we need to take a minute to explain this, and then we'll come back to the passage where we just read. And the historical context is not only it, it's, it's partially true. Uh, but it's not only about the fact that many of us may be anxious or many of us may be um, depressed or many of us may be worried and that we need peace. It is in part that's true. But there's also something equally important that's going on in this book. And I think we all should pay attention to it. And the context is, very simply, in the ancient world, like in the world that we live in today, 
There's ethnic division and ethnic hatred, yes, and uh, violence between ethnic groups, as well as there being wars, so on and so forth. And in particular, there's trouble between 10% of the Roman Empire, which is Jewish, and the other 90%. And that trouble, by the way, is reflected in the book of, uh, is reflected in the church, the house churches of Rome. Things are not well. Relations are not good. And originally, we may note that it was God's intention, yes, that he would use or he would choose Abraham and his descendants in order to reach the nations of the world. Abraham was going to bring blessing and the knowledge of God to all the people or all the peoples uh, of the world. And uh, Abraham was called not to be something special, so to speak, but Abraham was called and his descendants, they were called to serve the nations because God, yes, from Genesis 3 and from Genesis 10, which was the rebellion uh, at the Tower of Babel, God is passionate, yes, to carry out his program and his original intention, which is found in the book of Genesis. What is that original intention? Is that he, God wants to bless his creation and come into relationship with his creation. And sin and death will not stop God from pursuing that. Adam sins, but you may notice that's in chapter 3 of Genesis. In chapter 11, God goes back to wanting to bring blessing to the human family. And he's going this time to choose Abraham. And Abraham would bless the peoples of the world, and the peoples of the world would return a blessing to him. That in this difference, in this distinction that God creates, you know, God didn't create us all to be one big McDonald's milkshake, yeah? Um, homogenized and of equal consistency and the same artificial color. In this, in this distinction or diversity, there would be mutuality, yes, and there would be interdependence. And actually what God was doing was basically setting up human society to look like the Trinity and the community in which he lived. And there was supposed to be mutual blessing. Well, it kind of started off okay. Uh, for example, uh, in the case of Egypt, in that case, uh, Joseph, the descendant of Abraham goes down to Egypt. He saves Egypt. Egypt, in turn, saves Joseph. There you have mutual blessing. There you have the relationship working as it should. Okay? But, you know, things don't go so well. Thanks to human sin. Thanks to pride. Thanks to jealousy. And uh, both Jews and Gentiles don't exactly live into the relationship as God wants. And by the time we come to the, to the book of Romans, yes, to, to the early church, <clears throat> there is this hostility. And Paul has to write about peace. And the reason he has to write about peace is because it is a gospel issue. 
This is not a question of being nice. This is not a question of having unity for unity's sake. It's not a question of avoiding confrontation. Well, we, no one, not many of us like confrontation. Who wants to go out there and, you know. Um, it is not even the question of um, quote-unquote celebrating diversity for the sake of celebrating diversity. There is a gospel issue at stake. And from the passage that we read in Isaiah 15, sorry, and we read Isaiah 11 and Romans 15, the proof of the gospel, the proof, the truth of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the transforming power of the gospel is seen when communities, different ethnic communities, different uh, cultures, uh, different religious groups, uh, different political persuasions can live together in peace under the reign of Jesus the Messiah. And when that doesn't happen, Paul, as you can imagine, is unhappy. And by the way, when that doesn't happen, it brings a scandal to the church. It brings a desecration, Hilul Hashem, it brings a desecration of God's name. Yes, because people look around and they see uh, Christians, believers, Jewish believers, MBBs, you know, name it, you know, Roman Catholics, Anglicans, Pentecostals, you name it. And uh, oftentimes our communities are full of uh, rage, and they're full of arguments, and they're full of uh, poison, and uh, oftentimes, more often than not, what are the things that we're fighting over? What are the things that cause division and disunity and bring a disgrace to the name of Jesus and to the transforming message of the gospel? It's all secondary stuff. Or, or quite a bit of it is. And if you read uh, Romans 14, Paul has to address the issue between Jews and Gentiles. Now, he already addresses it in 9, 10, and 11 because there's a bunch of Gentiles in um, Rome who, not probably many, but who are walking around with their chest, you know, pumped up saying, ha, you lost it, you're finished, we got it, we Gentiles. We have now received God's favor. We've now received God's grace. And Paul has to remind those Gentiles, don't be arrogant and don't be proud. You better be humble and you're merciful in your relationship with the Jewish people and with Jewish believers. Because the root, Paul says, Yes, you know, you are not the root, but the root supports you. And by the way, that root that Paul talks about in Romans 11 could be one of three things. Could be Abraham, could be the Jewish people, it could be the Jewish believers. Whatever, it's not clear. But in all three cases, it's Jewish. Okay? <laughs> in all three cases, it's Jewish. And so therefore, yes, 
Therefore, Paul said, now, this isn't a kind of a theological issue, but how do these two communities live together? How are they going to show? Yes, what are they going to show? What are they going to show to the world? Well, there's arguments about holidays. Oh my goodness. Um, 2,000 years have passed and there's still arguments about holidays. And there's arguments about what should we eat or what shouldn't we eat? Should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Should we not eat meat sacrificed to idols? <clears throat> Maybe we should only eat cucumbers and tomatoes. <clears throat> Yes, and Paul has to address this. He doesn't give a very detailed formula, but he lays down some principles. And those principles are good then, and they're good for us now. <clears throat> because we're also not very different from those folks. Yes, because we still are fighting and arguing about all kinds of things. Many of them are of secondary importance. We argue about uh, what version of the Bible should you read? Yes, you have to read this version. You have to read that version. By the way, can I just uh, let you, can I just make a note on the, the Bible wars or the battle of the Bibles, the Bible uh, versions? If you don't speak the original language, Hebrew or Greek, not one translation is sufficient. You have to read two or three. Because as the old proverb says, all translators are liars. Even the, uh, the ones that are very well-meaning. All right? Should we, can you drink alcohol? Can you go to a movie? <clears throat> can you dance? Should you take your shoes off and go into a mosque? What about speaking in tongues? What about letting women preach? The ordination of women, the role of women? Yes. Uh, what about my denomination is better than your denomination? My movement, my preacher is better than your preacher. Our fellowship is superior to your fellowship. And it goes on and on. Yes. Again, most of these things are of secondary importance. And what's the problem with a lot of these things? It happens to be that from the things that are least important, we often take our identity. We take our identity because we only read the King James Bible. Or I have an identity because I belong to this political party or that political party. Or I hate Trump or I love Trump or Boris Johnson. Or it doesn't matter who it is. Yes, because uh, it's our political opinions, our political movements, our, the way we see the world, our culture. None of these things, or many of these things, don't violate a commandment. They're just what, how we interpret the way that commandments should be living out, lived out, or the way that Christian principles should be lived out. Yeah, but we, we get... A, uh, we get our identity from these things. I, I want to suggest to you what Paul argues for in Romans 14, and we will come to Romans 15 in a moment, is that what, all these things are secondary and that our identity 
And by the way, Paul is a guy who, uh, as you might say, he, he, would be, he would fit well into the postmodern world because Paul himself has multiple identities. Paul is a Jew. Paul is a, not only just a Jew, but he's a Pharisee. When he's in Jerusalem, after he writes this letter, Paul doesn't say, I was a Pharisee. I was under the law. I was suffering from legalism, but the Messiah came and set me free from all that. He doesn't say that, because I don't think that's his issue, quote unquote, legalism. He said, I am a Pharisee and I'm on trial for the resurrection. He says that in front of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Yes? So Paul is uh, born in Asia Minor. He's a Roman citizen. He obviously belongs to a small group of people uh, in the Roman Empire during that time that were educated, okay, well-read, uh, and certainly in Jewish sources, but seemingly also in uh, pagan philosophers as well. But Paul, for Paul, None of that is of major importance, yes? Just like the communities we create, you know, surrounding our politics or our denomination or, uh, you know, the way we pray or whatever that may be. What's important is to have an identity in Christ. That is first and foremost, to be, to be in the Messiah. Everything else is secondary. And over secondary issues that are not gospel issues, Paul tells the community, stop shedding blood and stop bringing, desecrating God's name and live with each other in patience and tolerance. Someone doesn't want to eat meat? Okay, don't eat meat. By the way, that person who doesn't eat meat, while they should be respected and their conscience should not be trampled, should not be allowed to force the whole community to stop eating meat. You want to read the King James Bible? Read the King James Bible. But don't condemn other people who don't want to read this Bible. You think speaking in tongues is valid and legitimate? Speak in tongues. You think going to a psychologist or a psychiatrist to help you is valid and legitimate? Then do it. If you don't think so, don't con- You probably should also go if you don't think so, you know. <laughs> you know. You don't like women in ministry? Well, stop sending women missionaries overseas. You know, it's, it's okay if they preach in Kenya, but just don't have them preach, uh, you know, in your local, uh, you know, in the, in, in the local fundamentalist church. Okay. These things, again, Paul says, give them a rest, that we should respect each other's opinions and their conscience. Now, Paul does not argue Paul does not argue that we should accept bad teaching or immorality. Teaching that's certainly contrary to scripture, and we'll come to that in a minute, is not tolerated, and neither is immorality. Uh, Aaron and I are reading a book. I don't know if you know it or not, Aaron, but there's a story in the book that you'll, you'll be reading soon. Uh, it's about a church in the United States, and uh, the preacher got up one day, you can, I won't tell you the denomination, you could probably guess, and uh, around Christmas time said that uh, there was no virgin birth, there was no miraculous birth, Jesus wasn't divine, and, and nobody in the congregation said a thing. 
And then afterwards, they had a church business meeting in which the same preacher said that uh, he wanted to change the carpeting in the church. I don't know, you know, from some kind of red to some kind of other. Well, there was an uproar. And there was fighting and bickering and backstabbing in the church for a whole year over the carpeting. In the end, the church ended up with a carpet virtually no different than the one it had. They didn't contend for those things that were serious and important and essential. It was what was, uh, it was, what was minor that irritated them. Now, so peace um, is not only a benefit. Just let me back up one step and then we will go into two other. Peace is a benefit that we get from having a relationship with God. There's no question of that. You all know um, five, you know, you all know five, one in Romans, um, and I'll read you the best. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, okay, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe better yet, we have, let us, the Bible, the, the best manuscripts say, let us have peace or let us be at peace because we've entered into this relationship. And further, Romans chapter 8, which talks about living life in the Spirit, um, wants us to know that uh, if we live by the Spirit and we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh, um, the following. He says, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So yielding to the Holy Spirit, yes, not just sometimes we read these verses in sort of a charismatic Pentecostal way uh, in which, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit tells me to wear blue socks today. And because I wore blue socks and someone, you know, on the subway saw those blue socks and they commented on those blue socks because they were so uh, unusual and so unique and I was able to give them a Bible and share the gospel with them. That's sometimes how we think of the Holy Spirit, but in this passage, in this context, the Holy Spirit uh, here is talking about uh, um, the, the, the life in the Spirit is opposite of uh, living a life you know, of us being dominated by, uh, certainly by sin and death. And there's peace that comes from, Paul says in Romans 14, he says the, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yes, that if we live in a way in which we allow Jesus the Messiah to rule over us, there comes peace from this, peace comes out of this. That's peace as a benefit, but there's also peace as a responsibility. And that's what I was explaining in Romans 14. There's also, may I just go, um, there's also, Paul was staying with Romans 14. He says, um, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God, okay, uh, uh, and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And where is this? Not my personal peace, but Paul's talking about peace in the community and peace in the, the body of the Messiah. And so how do we do this? 
how, how I mean, the, and I've already described uh, uh, one is that you don't make major issues out of minor ones. <clears throat> and those who hold to uh, these minor convictions should be allowed to hold to minor convictions. At the same time, they can't hold the rest of the community hostage. Their conscience should be respected, and yet at the same time, they should uh, respect those who don't hold the same opinions, okay? Uh, and Paul here talks about, okay, let's, let's do everything to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, uh, to strengthen the community. The way that we bring peace, yes, the way that we bring peace between different personalities, between different ethnic groups, uh, between uh, different cultures, again, is we, con in, a, in a very, um, maybe a systematic way, very conscious way, okay, be build up the community. We strengthen those who are weak. I'm reminded of a passage, a very important passage in Ephesians, where Paul also says, look, God has prepared ministers. And these ministers, by the way, everyone has a ministry. And this, the ministries are to be employed, are to be brought uh, into service to do what? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, okay, until we all reach unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness in Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by every cunning and craftiness of men and their, de and, uh, and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. And may I stop here for a second? You have a controversy with someone? You have a disagreement with someone? I hope and pray that all of us will speak to each other in love. Yes? But in the age of the internet, which has raised our level of hysteria, yes, in which we think we can be really nasty and crude to people, yeah, um, it's not always so easy. And that spirit the spirit of the anonymous talkbacks, you know, has entered into the church, unfortunately. And it has no place here. It has absolutely, <coughs> it has absolutely no place. So speaking the truth uh, in love, we in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. For, the, for in him, for sorry, from him, the whole body joined together, held together, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Yes, that's what it means to uh, make peace a priority. Yes, make peace a priority and to bring edification and to strengthen the body of the Messiah. And by the way, what does it mean to be a disciple? And to be a disciple is to be an imitator of Jesus. And here's the final, almost the final point that I'd like to make, is that the reason that we're patient with one another, 
The reason that we can tolerate one another, again, different ethnicities, different political persuasions, different uh, cultural understandings, different personality quirks, and even people's brokenness. Paul gives us, uh, again, in Romans, he gives us the reason. He says in Romans 15, may God, um, who gives endurance and encouragement, give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify God uh, and may, sorry, may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the Jews and on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God. Why should we do this? Because this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. We do for others. Yes, we should live out for others what God has done for us in Christ, which is to be patient and understanding and merciful, putting up with our excuses, yes, our rebellion, our laziness, our addictions, and so on. And we do this really to, this is what the imitation of Jesus means. To be a disciple is to be an imitator of Jesus and to live as he did. Now, usually we think of discipleship, hey, discipleship is about my Bible study and my prayer life and me witnessing. But discipleship is equally, maybe even more importantly, about the way that we live in community with each other. How we live in community. How we reflect the character of Jesus. Yeah, or the character of God. We imitate Jesus who's imitating God. We imitate Jesus who's imitating God. May I just add one caveat to all this? That sometimes a way to keep peace in the community, we, have to, we do have to confront. This is not about being nice and being a Pollyanna because many people are insecure or they might be ignorant or they um, might have you, you know, different... Um, uh, I don't know, personal experiences, hurts, trauma, and, and we need to uh, be aware of that and to respect their conscience. But if people come in and they use those very same things to be divisive, yes, or to bring wrong doctrine on central important issues, then these people are to be excluded. So Paul, after talking about love and unity, brings us to, uh, to the end of his letter. He says in chapter 16, I urge you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them. Keep away from them. So there might be a conflict. But this conflict is, again, for the sake of the, of the, of the family, of the community, for the health of the community, Okay. For such people are not serving our Lord, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience 
So I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And then he says, interestingly, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will confront and actually go to war to bring the end of Satan. So there's also not only the responsibility to be unified or to have unity so that we have peace amongst ourselves, yes, but also there might be the responsibility to confront and to exclude, again, in order to safeguard the, the community and to safeguard the community from Satan. Finally, I'd like to close with this thought. Um, Paul says, and come back to this Romans 15 from which we read earlier. The goal of all this, um, and I'm in the wrong, yeah, um, is as follows. It says, so that with one heart and one voice, you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that Jews and Arabs, sorry, Jews and Gentiles in this case, can go with one voice, glorify God our Father. So that Chinese and Koreans can glorify God our Father. So that liberals and conservatives or Republicans and Democrats with one voice <coughs> can glorify God our Father. Those who drink alcohol and those who don't drink alcohol with one voice can glorify God our Father. That's the power of the gospel. That's the transforming message of the gospel. That's what the peace of God can do for us. That's our witness to the world, especially in the day and age in which we live, when nation has risen against nation. And by the way, you're not speaking of a nation in perhaps the traditional sense. This is not like France rising against Canada or Canada rising against Bolivia. I don't know why that would ever happen, but who knows, yes? This is ethnic group against ethnic group. Yes. The nations are in rebellion. Israel and the nations are in rebellion. They're both under God's judgment, not in order to punish them, but in order to bring them to repentance. And what began as a rebellion in Genesis 10 at the chapter at, at uh, uh, Babel, the Tower of Babel, finds healing in the, minute, the life and death and the, the outpouring of the, the life and death of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit. Yes, and ultimately, as we read about in Revelation chapter 7, all people from every tribe and every tongue including the 12 tribes of the house of Israel, which should not be taken literally, but to mean all of Israel, will be standing around the throne, doing what? Glorifying God. Brothers and sisters, if you want to see God's glory, as Paul makes this clear, and I think it's clear in um, Isaiah chapter 11, the end, uh, verse 10 or verse 11, if you want to see God's glory, 
And we do sing a lot about God's glory. Show us your glory. We want to see the glory. We want to touch the glory. We want to taste the glory. If you really want to see God's glory, then let's live together in peace amongst ourselves. Father in heaven, help us, we pray. We are indeed weak and we're foolish uh, and we're stubborn. And uh, Lord, some of us are lazy. Some of us don't want to make the effort. But we pray that uh, you would give each one of us grace and mercy so that uh, we can indeed um, come to that place where we not only know peace with you, uh, peace by your Holy Spirit, peace by uh, submitting ourselves to King Jesus and living under his authority, but that we also know the responsibility of maintaining peace with each other. We know that uh, by doing this, you are pleased and you approve of us. Lord, we want your approval. We indeed want you to be pleased with each one of us in these matters. And we ask for that help again in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.